Welcome to Happily Ever After, the podcast where we talk about life's big stories. From great sex to sexual trauma, breakups and breakdowns, icky secrets and happy endings. It's the stuff that makes us human and boy do we cover it all. I'm your host Hannah Harvey, I'm a writer and a parenting blogger at mumsdays.com, that's M-U-M-S-D-A-Y-S dot com. I would be very grateful if you could subscribe and leave a review because it means more people can find the podcast. And I also really, really, really love hearing from you. So please contact me through Instagram at Mumsdays with all your stories of life and any thoughts you might have on the episode or even questions you want answering. You can find all the details from this episode in the show notes. Hello and welcome to Happily Ever After with me, Hannah Harvey. This week I have the second part of my interview with Joanne Major. She is the Managing Director of Major Family Law, who is in fact my divorce lawyers. Um, She's also put together an amazing site called SplittingUp.com, which is just an incredible free resource for anyone who's starting out in their divorce. And this week we start off where we left from the last episode, which was episode 33. But as a reminder, please do not use Joanne's answers as legal advice and always seek advice from a lawyer before you make any decisions. So without further ado, we'll launch back into the conversation with Jo where I'm asking her questions on behalf of you, lovely lot. And we're starting off with a question about refusing to sign divorce papers. So is it possible to refuse to sign divorce papers? Um, these days, it only actually needs one person to say that they want a divorce for it to go through. So that is one of the big changes now. Um, refusing to sign uh, a divorce application that's made, all that, that, that simply sort of slows the process down because you can't stop the divorce, but you certainly by refusing to sign papers can delay it because the applicant in the divorce would then have to make applications to the court to prove that the other party had received the documents. You would have proof of service that they knew about it and they were deliberately being uncooperative. So there's certain applications that can be made to progress it if somebody is being stubborn or difficult about it. But that's one of the main changes now that it's really one person can issue an application for divorce. But realistically, Even under the old law, people didn't really defend divorces. Yeah, you'd have to be pretty. I think, you know, people might put up some resistance to start with, but I guess after a few months, if there's there's no point hanging on if somebody absolutely is determined that the marriage is most definitely at an end. Mm. It was an inevitability, I guess, in, in most cases. So in the past, you could refuse for sure to sign the divorce whether or not that actually prevented people from issuing divorce proceedings before the new law came in, it might have done. If someone said in a marriage, I'm not going to sign, so no point issuing, I'm not going to sign to it, maybe that might have that might have slowed the process down. Whether ultimately that changed the outcome and somebody eventually did get divorced, I, I mean, obviously I don't know. But under the new law, one party can just issue the application for divorce. I think that's really fair and right. Like if somebody wants to leave, they shouldn't be controlled by what another person wants. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 difficult. It you obviously I've seen both sides of that. Yeah. Mm. Um. So yeah, it's difficult. Of course. 
But at the end of the day, you don't want to stay with somebody who doesn't want to be with you. No, I mean, that would be the logical answer. But uh, some <laughs> clients... just doesn't work like that. So well, some clients have difficulty coming to terms with that, yeah. understandably. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so some, so, uh, to me, it's a bit of... It's, it's a bit... It's about the timing. So, for example, what I said to you earlier about being on the roller coaster. Some people have already started that roller coaster because they decided that's what they wanted. So they're halfway through the journey. Yeah. Sometimes it takes people six months to catch up. Um, so they're the ones maybe who would be resisting and find themselves bereft. They weren't expecting yes. it. It's come out. They, they didn't want to end the marriage. It's all come. It's all quite catastrophic. It's all hideous. Yes. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's about the timing of normally within a period of time, that person is able to come to terms with it. But every person, every client is different. And it's about the different timings in people's minds that I think can cause a lot of trouble, a, a lot of difficulty, a lot of personal stress and anxiety. Mm. I was, when I spoke to a mediator, she kind of drew me this graph, which kind of started up here and went down and then came back up. And she said, that's grief. So she said, like, the person who's maybe not filed the divorce is maybe up here, still going down this hideous grief thing. And you might be over here, coming mm. back out the other side, and you're both trying to communicate. Yeah. And it's just... It's, just that, it's the roller coaster, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's just so it's difficult. It's the same thing, same analogy. The roller coaster that, you know, the party who made the decision, maybe even a year before they issued an application <laughs> for divorce, they may have already finished the journey before the other person started it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very difficult. It is very difficult. Mm. That's helpful because I hadn't ever really thought of it like that. I always assumed there was like a control thing of like, no, I'm not going to do it. But it's it's not that. It's about the human condition and grief and heartbreak. Yeah, but but sometimes it is that as well, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I, having both. done this for, having done this for 27 years, I've come across just about every scenario you could ever imagine. So, yeah, sometimes it's that. But I would say more often than not, it's um, coming to terms with a very difficult life changing event. And people cope in different ways. Yeah. Some people cope better than others. And that's no criticism of that individual. It's just human nature. Yeah. Some of us cope better with difficulties and challenge than others. Yeah, exactly. It all depends on when you feel things. Like, it can take years before you suddenly go, oh, my God, that thing happened. Mm. And it comes out in other ways. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, interesting. Uh, okay, is it possible to divorce without going to court? No. So in the same way that a marriage has to be properly carried out and registered, so the ending of a marriage obviously also requires an official process. Mm -hmm. So that's making the application at court. But in terms of the divorce process, you don't have to attend court. Yes. So uh, it's possibly your question without going to court. So you do have to lodge the application at court. So it requires the court process. But you don't, if you're dealing just with the process of divorce, you wouldn't be expected to attend the yes. court. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think this is more because I didn't realize this until I went through divorce that you apply to court for your divorce that's one thing mm -hmm. and then if we're going with the train analogy that's one train the next right. train would be finance yeah if yeah. you can't agree finance you may, then have, to you go may to have to go to court exactly. and then the third one is children yes but that's not really part of the same train that's not really it's a part different of the train. train 
Be exactly, because children's <laughs> applications are dealt with under the Children Act. So that's actually quite separate to divorce and the finances. Sometimes issues can be interrelated in some ways, for sure. And so if you've got issues regarding who's going, you might have a, an issue that you want to have the children to live with you, and that might impact on a financial settlement. So sometimes a financial claim might be put on hold depending on the outcome of maybe a contested application on behalf of the children. Um, often it isn't. Um, but you, yeah, so the children is another train, you know, a, a completely different train. Um, so think of very much the divorce and finances as two trains running in parallel together. The children train is a completely separate one again. Um, it's not even connected to those two rail tracks. Mm. But you can find yourself in court if a full custody related issues yeah for sure oh gosh yes yes, yes. <laughs> yeah so it's really when when people talk about going to court um i think what they mean by that or maybe what they don't understand is very rarely would you ever have to go if i can't think of any example where you would really have to go in terms of the divorce process yeah yes it could be possible in relation to financial matters if you can't agree terms by consent or somebody's hiding information, or there's an inequality of arms, or someone's being downright unreasonable. And you think, well, you know, what's a, what's what's an offer here isn't acceptable. Um, and again, with regard to the children, under the Children Act, if there are problems, issues that need to be resolved, for sure, you may need the intervention of the court to make the decision as to what the, the arrangement should be mm -hmm. in respect of the children. And that's completely separate to the finances that you wouldn't yeah go to yeah exactly so you could yeah. find yourself in court three times once for the divorce once for the finance and once for the children sure <laughs> but the divorce process is a court but you don't physically have to attend yeah. it yeah. exactly yeah okay so a couple last two questions yeah um the first is how are assets divided if you can possibly cover that in a, <laughs> a shortish answer Hmm. Okie doke. Um, well, all assets of either party um, that the parties have are are available, I guess, to be shared on divorce. Although there is a distinction sometimes between, well, not sometimes, there is a distinction between marital assets and non-marital assets. That's a whole new, a whole new discussion. What's the difference between marital and non-marital? non-marital being perhaps inherited assets. So the starting point, I guess, is to figure out what are the marital assets? What are the fruits of the marriage? And the law is generally starting with the presumption of equal sharing. Uh, but but that's very much subject to the needs of the parties. So, and the needs of the parties, would you would look at things, for example, of the age of the parties, the age of any dependent children, the health of the parties. What if one party wasn't able to work and the other could work through ill health? Um, the earning capacity of the parties inequalities in earning capacity because career career decisions made in marriage so these are different it's these factors they're actually in law called the section 25 factors um it's these factors that essentially define need and because people's needs can be quite different that's what is contentious um if it was formulaic if it was just 50 50 that's it quite frankly Hannah, I wouldn't have a job. 
<laughs> so you come at yeah. it from no. So you come at it from the point of view of it's fifty fifty, and Your then starting point. all these other factors then get taken yeah, into yeah. consideration. When, when I'm when I'm giving advice to clients by way of an initial free consultation, I explain. Think of it a little bit like a seesaw. You start off in the middle at fifty fifty, but then some of these other factors might move that seesaw up or down. So someone might have made a significant unmatched capital contribution to a property at the outset of a short relationship. So that that factor of contribution may be relevant to depart from the prince to depart from the established principle of equal sharing. Um, again, uh, for example, somebody might have the needs of two or three young dependent children and the children might be very young. They're not in a position to raise a mortgage because they might not be working if they've got responsibilities for the children that's another factor that might change things so as i say there's a number of factors uh, and some people may have more factors than others so if you think of it as i say as the seesaw analogy your seesaw can go up or down depending on how many factors you may come back at 50 50 for sure so you know if you're both 35 no children married for five years both teachers both working full-time earning the same and there's a house, it's probably pretty straightforward. It should be dealt with by an order by consent, very straightforward. Mm -hmm. But you could deal with a very different set of circumstances. If there's an age inequality between the parties, a wife maybe who's 60, husband who's 50, wife who's maybe had ill health, had a problem for five years, husband who's maybe successful um, consultant, and there might still be three children at school. Um, the wife might have had to give up work because of ill health. So she might be needing to draw down early on a pension. Um, there could perhaps be uh, an inheritance that came following the death of husband's mother two years before the ending of the relationship. So it can start adding in all sorts of layers of complexity. Mm -hmm. And those are the cases that you have to dissect and give clear advice as to the... Um, the range of options that are available it is it isn't it isn't straightforward and because there is a broad discretion that exists at the court and the discretion exists because of how do you define need and i guess everyone's interpretation of what someone needs rather than wants is quite different so my idea of what i need and what you need might be very different so that's why i guess speaking to a lawyer you are hearing from the lawyer what what the judges what their perception of need is based clearly we see on the law and case law because I deal with so many clients and they've got their own view about what the right outcome is understandably and I'll sometimes say to them I'm sorry I can't just tell you what you want to hear because that isn't an outcome that I believe the court would endorse mm. and a lot of it I seem to remember comes down to needs of children as well like yeah, for sure. Factor. If there are children of the marriage, yes, of course. Mm -hmm. The housing needs of any dependent children is one of the first considerations of the court. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Which leads us nicely onto the last question, which is to do with, do you have an adv any advice for when there is children involved? It's quite a broad question yeah, <laughs> that was put to me. but um... Yeah, well, it may sound simple, but parents really should try and cooperate for the welfare of the children. Um, a broken marriage doesn't mean that you're failing as parents, mm -hmm. but you still have that chance to do it well. But some of the worst cases obviously are where children are very much used as pawns yeah. um, between two warring parents. Um, it's very difficult in those circumstances. My advice would be to 
speak to a lawyer who might give you a range of options, mediation to try and see if you can build the communication. Um, so advice from those children involved, I mean, my advice would be, I guess, you know, try and think of the bigger picture. Try and think that, you know, you don't want to, you don't really want your children to be affected by what you and your spouse have gone through. And often spouses will say, he was a bad husband or she was a bad wife, but they were a good parent. So try and hold on to that. That could be the most positive thing coming out of the marriage. I'll often say to clients, it wasn't all bad, surely, because you've got two wonderful children. So try and look at the positive, not the negative. Mm -hmm. And if you can look at the bigger picture and think, hey, maybe one day it'd be really good when our children graduate or get married to sit on that top table, albeit on different ends of it, but at least be in the same room together. The good work to achieve that outcome is done at the time of the divorce. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, it's about trying to keep an eye on the bigger picture and don't drag the children into that dispute between the parents. But it's, it's easier said than done. That's so difficult. Um, one thing that so I've been reading again recently, it's a book called Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed. And the thing that well when I read this statement I realized I'd read it previously like 10 years ago or something <laughs> but basically what she says is the most damaging thing a child can hear is something negative about their parent mm. like their mother or their father mm. so that's always stayed in my head that it's so like you've just got to be so careful that you never slag off their the dad to them yeah like yeah it's, and they pick up on all of these little intricacies that's going on all the time so just really keeping that in mind even mm. when it's very difficult very much and at all ages you know especially teenagers who are going through their own battles aren't yeah. they as teenagers um really tough for them I mean I'll, I'll share with you I'll share with you what one thing that was said to me um by a child uh which I've shared to many clients over the years and it was a child who I knew whose mum and dad were separating and he was pretty upset, understandably, that mum and dad were choosing to part ways. And very tragically, about a year later, uh, one of the parents died unexpectedly. And he was just a child. He was 11, 12 at the time. And because he was someone I knew, and he said to me, and it was so wise, he said to me, it was really tough when mum and dad were separating. He said, but nothing will ever be the same as knowing that I'm never going to get to see my dad ever again. And it's just that sort of thought, isn't it, as a parent to think, okay, this is, you know, I don't like my spouse, whatever. But the, the concept of knowing you're never going to see your parent again, it's just devastating for a child. Mm -hmm. So why the hell would you put your children through that trauma in a divorce because none of us know what's coming do we no. so sometimes I'll say to clients you know think about that child's words that was tough but obviously now knowing he's never going to see dad that's um it's a terrible situation mm -hmm. yeah so yeah I think anything to the kids you really have to obviously as long as they are safe 
and you yeah, know they yeah. are safe that's the only sure. time i would say that you really need to yes stand of course up is... and there are some safeguarding cases absolutely where children are at risk and those are the cases absolutely where where precautions and things need to be um put in place and safeguarding measures absolutely so there's always an element of children who are very vulnerable and need always to be protected yeah. but um in in other cases i would just say try to think about your child's needs rather than necessarily your own yeah um i read an amazing thing from children's services about looking at it from the child's perspective so what i'll do in this podcast in the show notes i'll link to that if i can find it online again um because i think that's really helpful if you're like i hate my ex to -hmm. just read this and be like okay this is about my child and this is, you know, this is the way to deal with it. So, mm. oh, thank you so much, Joe. That has been really helpful. Um, and I feel like we could go on for another hour, <laughs> at <Amazing>. least. <laughs> no, don't worry. There's just so much. It's just, uh, yeah, there's it's, always... I mean, so yeah, you've been learning this for 27 years, so we can't <laughs> put it in, a, yeah. in an hour-long podcast. But, yeah, everything that Joe has mentioned, we will link to in the show notes. Um, and of course, if you need any further legal advice, you can contact Joanne. Yeah, I mean, as I say, we do free consultations, Hannah. So if anybody wants a free consultation just to sort of discuss a set of circumstances or whatever, or a friend or family member, um, you know, just get in touch at inquiries at majorfamilylaw.co.uk. But if you're just simply looking for advice, information gathering at this stage, then that's the reason why splittingup.com was created um, as a sort of go-to page of helpful information. And that also has links to experts and people who could help you. So it's a a combined page. It's not a law site. It's just information. It's an information platform, but also it can take you to people who can help you if you need it. And uh, and also with splittingup.com, there is also um, a nice, well, I I think it's nice, uh, podcast as well, um, where people share their real stories, real journeys of their own circumstances, just a snippet, it's only four or five minutes. Um, They anonymize their name, understandably, and sometimes they change slight details of, you know, the the sexes of the children or whatever, just to protect the children's identity as well. But um, the podcast is sharing real stories and journeys. And then after the podcast, we then dissect some of the things that they discussed and provide information about it. So it could be, for example, a, a disputed children's application. One of the podcasts is a lady who left the English jurisdiction to go and live in Spain, and the application was objected to by her ex. So she explained how she did it and what she needed to do. And then following her story, we then discussed if you want to make an application to live outside of the jurisdiction, what are the things that you need to think about well ahead of seeking the court's permission, because Mm -hmm. preparation is key to success. You need to undertake the preparatory steps first. So advice was given concerning the preparatory steps needed. And then the other expert that we spoke to was a good friend of mine, Jose, who's a Spanish lawyer. And he was explaining what the Spanish side of that potential international relocation was in the Spanish courts. So quite helpful information. So the podcasts, if people like listening to podcasts, some of them are I think, quite, uh, quite good. No, I think they're great. I was listening to one and afterwards I was like, oh, I really need to get my will sorted. Like little (laughs) things like that where you're like, oh, I'd forgotten that bit. Yeah, Yeah. so it's wonderful. And of course, if anybody needs a sympathetic ear, I am available too and you can contact me through Instagram. 
But thank you so much, Joe. That's been amazing. Yeah, well, thank you, Hannah. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Bye. Take care. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time for another episode of Happily Ever After with me, Hannah Harvey. It would be wonderful if you could leave a review and subscribe. And of course, if you've got a friend who might enjoy this episode, then please do pass it on. For anything else, you can get in touch with me through either Instagram at mumsdays or through my website mumsdays.com. Thank you.